Kevin, would you like me to start this episode with a pun? I would absolutely adore that. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, did you Make know? It punishing. Did you know that a pregnant horse can run twice as fast? Would you like to know why? Yep. Because it has two horsepower. Oh yeah. <laughs> what if it's twins? <laughs> Three times as fast. Oh. <laughs> this, I suppose, will be the uh, horsepower special here on All on the Field. As always, I am Arthur, joined today by Kevin and once again Tasha Krug. Krug the thug. Krug. Welcome back to the podcast, Tasha. Thank you for being here. Of course. Uh, today it will be the horsepower fantastical. The uh, oh, it's going to sound like galloping, a galloping gallivant adventure into. <laughs> Grand discussions and we're going to be talking about uh, auto racing and also horse racing, which is the father of auto racing. I'm yes, sure. Yes, yes. Once upon a time, the tremendously horses did race cars have horsepower. It's true. Yeah. Uh, Where do race cars come from? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the first topic we wanted to touch on is uh, discussing why it is why it is. That in auto racing, um, drivers get so much of the praise when it tends to be the case that just whoever has the fastest car is the person that wins. <laughs> Mercedes. Yes. <laughs> we have some opinions about this over the past few years being F1 fans yes, with one team having won the title the last seven years? Mm. Every year since twenty. 14, 13, six 2014 years? to now. How many years in a row has Lewis Hamilton won? He's won, he's won six and Valtteri won once. So the last seven years have been Mercedes. Not Valtteri, Nico Rosberg. Yeah, I was about to say, uh, <laughs> yeah. when did that happen? Six-time champion, <laughs> many, many victories. And it's obvious to everybody who's watched this sport over the past <laughs> nearly a decade. Seven years. Yeah, that the reason this is the case is that Mercedes engineers not the athletes, just nailed the car design Yes, and actually, built the fastest car. You said decade the first time, and that's even more correct because the extending part of the decade, those last three years, you realized that Mercedes was not that team because another one was, and yes. then they changed the rules, and then Mercedes was, and that's how it's been. Yep. Yeah, so in auto racing, very much, it's whatever team gets the best output from just nailing the regulations when the regulations change is gonna that team's gonna win the championship for the next however many years until the regulations change again then the dice get rolled again yeah all all sports have some well are there any sports that truly have no equipment i think probably not in all sports there's some equipment and some equipment will play some role in your ability to perform um and it just feels like auto racing is extremely extremely far on the spectrum of dependability on your equipment and the role that it can play is a much bigger one in the equation. Like, you know, that's, that's actually fair. I've been thinking about this more the past year or two um, in the NFL because I've noticed there have been many games where uh, the victor in the game has been decided by whether the trainers on one or the other of the teams chose the correct length of cleats for the athletes on like a really slippery field. And so you'll have like team with a home field advantage. They know what to expect when it rains or whatever mm. and it gets muddy. And so they like that team trainer equipment person like dials in the gear for all the players and the other team, you'll see a t 
team just gets smoked for like the first quarter, first half of the game. And then every player has new shoes after halftime because they realize the mistake they've made. Yeah. I was trying to think of sports where there's truly no role of equipment. And I went to like, I was thinking like swimming. Oh, you got swimsuits though. Remember when they did all that innovation with like and even the super like running with these recent yep. running shoes, Those running that, spikes. Yep. Like, well, what are, what are their recent shoes that are letting people set marathon records? Because there's, I don't know exactly what the situation is, but it's some Nike shoe that it has a particular like, like extremely high elasticity. Yeah. Some elasticity or whatever in the shoe means that it's really not a neutral playing field. And like, literally every record holder from the past two or three years runs in the same mm. pair of shoes. I did not know that. And I, I think that the anticipation was that going into the Japan Olympics, there was going to be some regulation and I didn't follow up on it because the Olympics got postponed and it got all weird. I propose a brief two or three minute exercise activity of can, not literal exercise. <laughs> can any of us come up with a sport or who can come up with the one with the least equipment contributions? Currently I have, Ping well, pong. okay, hold on. So, yeah, do you mean least equipment contributions that can influence the outcome or least equipment overall? Magnitude. What is the least magnitude of impact of equipment to the outcome of a sport? Like in, in auto racing, obviously that magnitude of impact is enormous. Like it's a very big factor. And in, so like in football, tennis. it's non-zero. Tennis, you've got all the racket. racket. Like that's why I went to ping pong. How different are ping pong paddles? I don't know. Right. I do know they have different amounts of padding. I guess the yeah. answer is probably like a judo. Judo, it's literally... I uh, know, because the, the material, the material yeah, of, it's not the, standardized? of the gi, it is not standardized. There is a mm. maximum and minimum length for like sleeves and the hem and everything so that you can't intentionally wear something like so tight fitting that somebody can't grab it. But part of the sport is like grabbing a hold of like yeah. the other person's cuff and the lapel Isn't of the jacket. Aren't you only allowed to grab by the, the gi? I thought judo? I did an entire seven minute lesson in Japan at a school <laughs> on how to judo throw a person. And that is my knowledge. <laughs> I am not sure. Because there there isn't no G no gi judo the way there's no gi jujitsu. Mm. But anyway, it does play a role, obviously, because okay. it's something that's a handhold. So I'm over one. So well, theoretically you want to have like a silk gi. To... <laughs> I guess by that standard, like UFC. No, you got like different gloves though. No, you no. have standardized. Yeah. standardized gloves. And you're and only and now there's only one manufacturer for the uniform. So the oh. the fighter gets to choose whether they want baggy shorts or tight shorts, but that, they're all yeah. manufactured by the same company now. They now have uniforms basically. So maybe that's it. Is that as standardized as it gets? And as non equipment like yeah. Are there any others like that? There is like a bare knuckle fighting <laughs> bare knuckle boxing Are there any fight club out. Sports? <laughs> Yeah, are there any non-combat sports? Hmm. Bowling? I mean, I would think maybe even like shot put. Because it's yeah, a standardized, yeah, you can pick, it's a standardized yeah. shot, right? Yeah, you can pick the size of shot, but I mean, everybody has that same option and it's not like... And you're then just like trying to match It's not like spending an like extra $7,000 on a fan. Like that's not going to do anything for you. Yeah. Your chalk and your like, that's it. Chalk and shot put and those are not things, to my knowledge, that crazy innovation has happened to give somebody an advantage like yeah you're moving in mass i guess maybe all the throwing events in track eh, a javelin actually matters but the others maybe not now what is the most minimal team sport for this purpose minimal team yeah wouldn't that be like Water ufc polo. <laughs> no no i mean team sport like soccer football same equation whatever. but for a team sport yeah for a team oh, sport okay. which team sport 
has the lowest possible variation. No, you got to have your pom poms. <laughs> the aerodynamics <laughs> of each individual ribbon and of the uniforms. Yeah. The skimpier, the uh, more points. Everybody shaves their head first. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the swimmers. Swimsuit, though. Yeah, that's one. Maybe like synchronized swimming. I was thinking water Ooh. polo. Water polo? Maybe. Synchronized diving. Yeah. Because those, I'm pretty sure you only have a choice of like three companies. Yeah, diving's probably maybe it. It. <laughs> I think my feeling is that though, for, for all of these sports, when you get to the level where it's like international, professional competition, whatever, you're at the level where everybody participating is able to have access to the highest quality gear, right? So even if it's something like... That's true. Even if it is a sport where theoretically the influence of the equipment has a big impact, say like, I don't know, pole vault or something, right? Like the people who are doing pole vault at the Olympics have access to the nicest gear they can possibly have for that event, right? You're not going to have, you know, quality of equipment being the limiting factor there. Now, I can think of some sports where um, you have difference in performance between athletes because of like sponsorship deals, right? Yeah, that's like, what I was thinking of. Like in golf, where if you are sponsored by X club manufacturer and their stuff just kind of sucks compared to somebody else, but you're on a three-year contract, you're kind of hosed for a while. There was a story when Tiger Woods was playing that when, I believe it was when Nike was making actual clubs and they sponsored him, that his irons he played with weren't actually Nike iron, irons. They were custom, one-off, manufactured by, I can't think of the name. It's one of the Japanese manufacturers. It's not Mizuno. But they were like a custom set of one-off clubs that were made by this other company. And then just like the facade on them was they looked like the Nike irons, but they were actually manufactured by somebody else so that he could have the Nike badging and run the sponsorship deal, but play with clubs that he actually liked because he didn't like the clubs. Interesting. I believe it. I believe it. I think that's a case of like drivers right now, right? Like uh, there was uh, Bryson DeChambeau making some hullabaloo because he was criticizing uh, Cobra, who's the manufacturer of his driver after some tournament where he just played terribly. And in the like post-match stuff, he was whining about his club sponsor. Yep. Not a good look. <laughs> Not a good look at all. Poor choice. Yeah. Very much so. <laughs> um, so anyway, those are all kind of on the spectrum of equipment involvement, but way at the top of it is, is motorsport. Especially, especially, am I reaching too much? Especially F1. Seems like, I mean, it sort of is placing itself there because it's the de facto pinnacle of motorsport uh, and has all the international notoriety and also is subject to, you can just go on Wikipedia and look at a list of F1 world championship winners and, or constructors championship winners, either one. And There's some you'll domination. see pretty large swaths of one team over and over and over again. Right. And then you could go and you could look at the years of regulation change in the sport. And usually there's some strong overlaps there too. Um, and also you could go and look at the funding of the teams and you'll again see yeah. some overlaps there. Yeah. I was going to say, Poor I, Williams. <laughs> I think that money has as much of an impact in it as anything, though there are outliers like Mercedes runs a super, super high budget and they're winning. Um, Ferrari also runs an insanely high budget and they have not had a good few years here. Um, but I think part of that separation at the top is like the same issue that international soccer faces without a, a salary cap where 
whoever's willing to pour a billion dollars a year into the team, like you're going to win. You know, if you just are willing to just blow the cap off and, you know, for some period of time early in a new regulation, just not care about the budget, then you can smoke the competition. So I think that the introduction of budget restrictions, along with the new regulations that are coming in F1, at least on the engineering side of the competition should close that gap. But that's not going to change the fact that uh, nobody cares about the engineers in F1, the hmm. people who design the car and the people that run the team. Like, yeah. Can you name any? I can name one. Yeah. Like <laughs> one or two. And we watch it every week. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and the ones we can name are people that have been in the sport forever. Yeah. Like I can name Adrian Newey because he's like one of the most famous automotive like race car designers ever. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I can't think of the guy who was running the technical development at Williams and got canned early last year. Uh, nope. Neither can I. What was his name? He's, he's another guy who's been in F1 forever. Can name yeah. Bono. Yeah. So I was name Bono. <laughs> Patty Lowe. Oh, that's right. Yes. Patty Lowe is a name I would have known. Yep. But did um, not. Would yeah. have, but did not. But the 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 guy in F1, for the most part, over the past while, has been Lewis Hamilton. And so the he argument wins. is very much, yeah, is he successful because he is the best driver to ever sit behind the wheel of a race car? Who knows? Or is he successful because he has a very, very good car? That one is certainly true. And a lot of money to pay a personal trainer for constant attention yeah for all the sports that try to do all the sports that try every sport lends itself to like the, who's the greatest of all time discussion and like i've had a million of those about like the nba and it's impossible to answer because well some people think it is because the league today is not what it was 50 years ago and the technology is not the same and that's extremely again prudent in a sport like f1 it is like very seriously lewis hamilton might be the greatest driver of all time but also he might not be and he might just have a car that's that much better than like he he certainly is talented i don't think anybody would no. dispute that he very reliably performs at a very high level but he also very reliably has a car that is among the four best on the grid every single week and he is for very very used to that car yep my presumption is that because there is that season where he lost out to rossberg um that he there's no way that he is like undisputed the most raw talented raw skilled driver ever agreed if there's a year where he got smoked not smoked but i mean a year where he got beat yeah and in what i would be very interested in that year was that 2016 2017 20, 2016 i think nico rosberg won it rosberg Ask as his Vettel. teammate which by the way as an aside for people was like an awesome cool mic drop moment in sports sort of because Rosberg spent all these years being the second fiddle to to Hamilton and sometimes kind of coming close to competing with him and then finally put all the put everything together the one year and is able to beat him and then just retires at the end of the year. Yep. And then like looking back, people I read an interview not that long ago if he had any regrets. He's like, No, like none at all. Like he's like the amount of like mental stress and anguish it took to try to compete with Lewis every week, which points for Lewis for mm -hmm. how good he is argument, but like he's like it was it just wasn't even fun anymore, but it was just something that I wanted to accomplish and then he did it and then just walked away. But I'd be very interested in knowing the year that that happened and or the years before that uh generally a thing in formula one is that the there's a a lead driver at every team and that driver gets the some amount better everything generally like 
there's a big thing with Red Bull Racing recently where like Max Verstappen, like they designed the car around their lead driver to a large extent. Like the second driver is sort of is compromised a little bit by their own team. Of course, they're still getting lots of attention because the team wants them to do very well, but they are prioritizing one guy. So at Mercedes for those years, were they in equal, equal equipment actually? Did they grant that to Nico Rosberg or was he outperforming his slightly compromised car? Like... I, wonder, I would love to know. That'd I wonder if a team with that budget, if that's the case. Currently, we hear about sometimes weekends where different cars are running fully different parts for some of the smaller teams. Yeah. Like they'll have different engine specs, you know, because they don't mm-hmm. want to take a penalty with both cars. Or it'll be for like research purposes almost. Right. For some running of these different teams. aero or running mm-hmm. whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. I wonder also if there's a situation where you know, maybe Rosberg going into that year where he won was able to negotiate a 100% equal setup. Yeah. It'd be very interesting. We may never know. But I think maybe very, very brief backing up for people who are not super F1 versed, like very simple, not only has like Mercedes been dominant for all this time, but I mentioned the periods of dominance. It very much so was like an on-off switch, like Lewis Hamilton for all his dominance for these last seven years. Before those years, he did win his first championship in 2008, before that, um, which was crazy, crazy race. If you're ever interested, go watch the end of that race in Brazil in 2008. Very wild outcome. But he was talented and effective from 2009 to 2013, but Red Bull was untouchable for all those years. And without any super dramatic change from Lewis's driving style and his team, uh all that changed between 2013 and Red Bull being untouchable in 2014 was all that changed was all the rules. And so like that, a switch was flipped in this like absolutely dominant team of Red Bull was knocked back a bunch of pegs. And then Sebastian Vettel, who people make arguments greatest of all time, also probably not, but maybe yep. because he rattled off four consecutive championships, which was unheard of at the time. Was it unheard of? I don't know. I think so. He was the youngest ever champion and then won four in a row and was untouchable. And then that switch flipped and Lewis started winning forever and like Red Bull was closer to an afterthought. And it's not like Vettel just forgot how to drive and the other Red Bull guy did. And it's not like Lewis was like, I'm here, everybody. Like, (laughs) it's not like that. So very clearly there's an inflection point in the sport and it was not from the driver's side, which makes like there's the immediate clear argument of how much can you assign to the driver versus the car? Because obviously one cannot win without the other. How how high can you take the average replacement level F1 driver with equipment is um, maybe a question. So I guess another really good example of, I guess, car performance versus drivers, George Russell. Going oh, from yes. this like is a very Williams good point, actually. to the Mercedes for that one race and he was... Williams for the last all the years i don't know the last yeah. five or six years poor, has been poor williams very they have much the so smallest budget they have the highest amount parts. of turnover in their engineering team worst car just like objectively yes right now. they for the last two or three years pretty much have been they've been scraping by just trying to keep the team together financially and be able to keep a car on the track yes to prepare for these next regulations which hopefully they've had success preparing a car for yep. preparing tech for but so they're like scraping along between 16th and 20th out of 20 every week pretty much and george russell's this young dude from london from the uk, the UK. Yeah. Britain, anyway who's shown all this promise and he's in like mercedes development driver program and occasionally he's like notably outperforming the car and especially his teammate reliably right. and then 
So why Val- why did Russell or sorry why did Hamilton miss that race? Was that the COVID? Uh, that race? was the COVID race, I think. Yes. And so because Russell is in the Mercedes driver development program, whatever, when Hamilton had to give up his seat, Russell got to flip in for a race into the Mercedes car. Yeah, I forget who took the Williams. Kubica? Maybe. Maybe. I would guess Kubica. But yeah. anyway, so Russell, who has been sort of proving his worth with this feeder team, but also not really finishing anything better than, I don't know, maybe 14th, hasn't scored an F1 point yet at this point in his career, uh, gets dropped into a car that he's never driven he had at a one... track he's never been to or done sim laps at before like the weekish of the race yeah he had one practice before actual practice right uh maybe there was a test day at some point before no they had never been to the circuit before it was the yeah. first time at the circuit and then george williams rolls up with like a team george that williams he's... yep george williams <laughs> george williams with george russell. michael rolls up george george williams with russell racing anyway <laughs> George Russell rolls up in not a Williams, but the Mercedes vehicle and is in complete control of the whole weekend and leads the race in dominant fashion until pit stop blunder ends yeah. up costing him yeah. the race. Yeah, they put the, the wrong end. tires on his car. Oh, yeah. They put like they put, mismatched. They put somebody else's tires yes. on his car. Oh, yeah. They I put remember Valtteri that. Botas's yeah, tires on his car, which is like a big technical regulation no no. And you have to pit immediately and do it again. And then you lose all this time. And yeah. yeah. But he came from a back marker all year and then hops into this car and is dominant for the weekend. Yeah, I think that's a testament to cars versus drivers for performance output, at least F1. Yeah. And it carries into other racing as well. Um, I guess IndyCar maybe has made a name for itself in the last few years as being one of the strongest brands of racing and the most parody in the technology and that's because the regulations basically make that the way um and we're seeing sort of an influx of drivers especially from former f1 guys what are there four or five of them i don't know and former guys like we've got yeah roman grosjean marcus erickson takuma sato's there alex rossi went through the f1 pipeline at least four i think i'm forgetting another one um and last year's two rookies in indycar were like four-time Australian supercars champion Sidney McLaughlin and Jimmy Johnson, seven-time NASCAR champion. Like those are the guys fighting for, for rookie. Oh, and Roman Grosjean. Yeah. So you've got, you've got yes. four-year-old, 36-year-old. Yeah, you've got the these guys with the who flames. knows how many championships in international race or in that major racing series. And they're the rookies in IndyCar. And that's sort of a testament to the, the draw of it is it's supposed to be lots of parody and you really get to drive the car and it's really down to the drivers. And Yep. Very cool. Well, well, the funny the funny analog when we said this is the horsepower special or whatever <laughs> was we were talking about horse racing and how it's interesting that in in auto racing, even though a lot of it comes down to the car, the driver gets all the attention and all the praise. But in horse racing, we give all the praise to the horse. Well, a horse is a horse, of course, of course. Yeah, but the, the jockey doesn't get any love. Like, you'll well, have no, people... they're like under five feet. So why would they? <laughs> yeah, you're over five feet so you're relevant but when you go under five feet then yeah really like how can i even notice you i'm five foot four which is why i can joke and arthur said i was five foot <laughs> so you're five foot nothing i think but yeah, that's okay five foot nothing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, that, back that, to that always struck me as odd when like the the two to the one to three times a year that the United States decides that horse racing matters, which is mostly just the Kentucky Derby. But if the horse happens to be the correct winner for 
Belmont and Preakness and Kentucky Derby, then it will be relevant for however long that the Triple Crown is in play. Yes. Everybody cares, even though nobody... Nobody I, would otherwise yeah, care. Nobody actually cares. Yeah. But anyway, it's very interesting to me every time I just am reminded, like, everybody is so celebratory and rooting for a horse, <laughs> <laughs> which we've talked about. We've touched on sort of the impact of just money in sports and this is that, but with horses <laughs> yeah in a super weird way like you're hiring like to breed the best race car <laughs> yeah i mean my my aunt has horses that she's had bred basically but it gets super expensive mm -hmm. as the pedigree gets higher and i guess all of the legacies for like i mean Kentucky Derby. Which is wild because does your aunt race horses? Like, who no, cares? she does dressage. <laughs> it's really, it's so, it's so wild to me that this is a thing. Like, so the Kentucky Derby happens every year. And so to get to this point, as you've sort of just told us, Tasha, like even way below that, like this world of like horse breeding elite, whatever, whatever, it starts to get super pricey. So like when you get towards that top to like your horse might be a Kentucky Derby racehorse, like I can't imagine the yeah, you're cost buying like a associated $50 with a million dollar horse. So yeah. basically then, you have to spend millions of dollars for your horse or a horse to be what's the term inseminated yeah it's and oh, like yeah it's, it's so ridiculous to me then, your children's ears yeah. am i right <laughs> but it's yeah it's basically you pay however many millions based on how many wins the mare the female horse or the stallion like the male horse gets for i guess pedigree is what it's called, but it's kind of the uh, pure blood. Goodness. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. How much of a champion you are. And the more number of races that you win, the more your horse is worth for breeding. And then people will pay to basically have your horse be the dad or the mom of whatever horse they are trying to get. But then, yeah, it kind of like bleeds into the whole car versus driver thing from the aspect of if you're taking the best of the best the entire time, like, yes, if you have a lot more money, you are going to be doing a lot better in the race than you would if you're trying to start out a team with whoever jockey you get. Yeah. Just any short person. <laughs> If it's not evident, I don't know much about horses, horse riding or horse <laughs> racing, but which is part of maybe why my point's invalid, but I'm going to make it anyway. It's like, it's all so like all this money has been poured into like generating the ultimate racehorse. So like not only by one person, but the number of people involved who did everything relating to these horses to create this horse. And then there's a bunch of them because you have what, eight, 10, 12 or something that race in like in the Kentucky Derby as I guess the pinnacle example. Well, so the amount of money behind those eight horses must be so high. Yeah. Well, and, and then you have not... all these people spending all this money to to go watch. And then you have right. all these like networks paying all this money to broadcast. And then all the people paying to market. And all of this is coming down 
to a thing that's some horses racing each other. <laughs> like I, I'm not, I don't know how much the jockey actually has to do with it, but I have to imagine that the driver has more to do so, with an F1 car performing than the jockey <laughs> riding a horse for two minutes or whatever it is. That's fair. I wonder what jockeys get paid. I, like that's people, a good And question. there's so much money on the line with betting. People put all oh, this yeah. money into horses running. Yeah. What? Well, okay. <laughs> to be fair, people bet on fights. Yeah, but you're betting on two people and you can get more data and sort of predictable. I don't know. It's so crazy to me. How can you not get more data from like horses who compete in a lot more races every year than you would from like UFC fighters that do like Uh, three? It's a horse. For horse racing, the average jockey makes thirty to $40,000 a year. The winning jockey at the Kentucky Derby, for example takes 10% of the horse's purse. The horse wins the yeah. prize purse. Horses so, have purses now? <laughs> so the yeah, they're, that, they're that bags. wealthy. Not when they're racing, though. They leave the purse somewhere else. You gotta so, keep it in a safe location. Uh, let's see what year this article is from, but it's saying that in the year this was written, the this was written this year, the winning jockey would make $186,000 for that Kentucky Derby win, which is a huge payout in a sport where the average year's earnings can be 30 to 40 grand. Terrible. And the average cost to to do that, I imagine, is extremely Oh, yeah. High. From a standpoint of like horse trainers and... How do you make your living? I guess you have to do something else. Fun if fact. You're, if you're a we jockey. Thought, we thought we were underpaid. <laughs> well, a lot of people have horses and they don't have kids. It's a they one or the other situation. Yeah. Those become their kids. <laughs> Strange. It's a large kid. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine paying an acupuncturist and a massage therapist for your horse because it happens. <laughs> Kevin, would you like to tell the story about Nikola Jokic, the chariot yes, racer? Yes, I was just <laughs> thinking about Nikola Jokic, dear sweet Nikola. Who is Nikola Jokic? Joker. Once again. Yeah, the Joker, Nikola Jokic, big honey, sweet Serbian hooker. <laughs> anyway, uh, he is a very large man who plays basketball for the Denver Nuggets and is the former MVP of the NBA. Seven and feet tall, 280 or something. 270, yeah. Very large human. Uh, he, to this day, his dream and ambition in life was to be a horse jockey and to do the form of horse. It's like chariot racing, effectively. You sit on a little chariot that's yeah. pulled by one or I think one horse. And wild and it, they race them and apparently he's from serbia native serbian and i guess that's a big cultural thing there and he has said in i don't know how many interviews feel free to investigate uh that he just loves to ride horses and he wants to ride horses and he's most at home riding horses but he got to like age 14 and was too big to be doing it anymore and it's i don't know he like goes home for summers and his like therapeutic activity is just having his horses and exercising his horses and whatnot and it's so sweet and so strange this man man is the like the mvp of the nba and it's his like second favorite activity because he can't do his favorite one (laughs) (laughs) must be rough being nicola it's true well maybe one day we will all have enough money to have horses maybe or inherit them Inherit some horses. Maybe one day Nicola will inherit a horse big enough. (laughs) (laughs) Clifford, the big red horse. (laughs) Well, we can only dream that one day we will make enough money off this podcast to be horse owners. Yes. The way that you can help us. More horsepower. Fulfill our horsepowered (laughs) dreams 
is by listening to the podcast and following us on Twitter. Yes, please follow us on Twitter. You can follow the podcast at AOTF Pod on Twitter. You yeah. can follow me at King Arthur HS. You can follow me at K2 underscore Rocky. And you can follow Krug the Thug. Mostly on Instagram. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, Tasha. No, Instagram is Tasha Fierce. We will, uh, we will link the various socials in the show notes. I think you've given two different Instagram handles in your Tasha last episode. Tasha Tasha <laughs> That's fine. We'll make sure the correct one is there. Uh, but you've been listening to All on the Field. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Catch you on the flippity flippity. <laughs>